So we've been on a, on a bit of a journey through Ephesians and through the armor of God in chapter 6. Let me read from, from verse 10 to the verse 16, which is where we are today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We are in a war and we are experiencing a clash of kingdoms. Everyone who walks with God is part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come in our lives and in our hearts. And there is another kingdom and there is a clash between them. And those who really walk with God and follow Jesus and seek to live in a way that pleases him and seek to see his kingdom come, seek his kingdom first, you will experience opposition, continual opposition. Well, there might be the odd respite now and again, but there's, not, there's no sort of retirement from the fight. It keeps on going. And the whole purpose of this passage is to call the people of God to stand. To stand firm. What do you do when you're under attack? What do you do when the opposition is wearing you down and tiring you out? Have you ever just got so weary of it? So weary. And, and suddenly you, you wouldn't admit this openly from the front of a church. But you have these little fantasies about quitting. You have these little, have you ever heard of about anybody doing a midnight flit? I remember talking to a, to a family years ago who were really, really struggling. And the, the mother of this family said to me, Do you know what? We have talked about just packing our bags and just disappearing some night in the middle of the night. Just, just going. The whole family just clearing out a midnight flit, just getting away from this. What do you do when quitting becomes, starts to look like an attractive option? What do you do when temptation and doubt and anxiety and fear just seem to be raining down in on your life? Paul says you take up the shield of faith. Now the Roman shield was not like Captain America's shield. It wasn't a sort of a small round, I think that's maybe called a buckler, is it? I don't know, a small round shield that you held on your, on your forearm and threw it at people and it came back at you and all that. Um, it wasn't like that. The, the, the shield was, was about the size of a small door. And it was made of wood. And the wood then was covered with linen and with leather. It was all bound around the edges with metal. I, I, you know, if I had more time, I could have got a picture up for you, but it didn't. Um, but it was, it was bound with leather and, and linen 
or covered with leather and linen and bound in metal so it didn't fray and come apart. And what you did with the, the shield before you went out to battle, you got the shield, this is interesting, um, and you dipped it into water. And the Bible water frequently represents several things, but primarily the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You dipped the shield of faith into the water. It all soaked up into the leather and into the linen. And then when you went out of the battlefield and the enemy didn't just fire sort of standard issue arrows at you, he fired arrows at you that had been dipped in pitch and set on fire. And when those arrows hit your shield, the damp of the shield prevented the rest of it from going on fire. So it quenched those flaming arrows that the enemy was, was throwing at you. So this, this shield was, was big enough for the, for the soldier to sort of crouch behind it. It covered pretty much his whole body. And we'll, we'll look a wee bit later at, at another way that they were used. Now these flaming arrows that Paul says in verse 16, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is rude, but I'm going to say it anyway. A few years ago, somebody sent me a text message. And this user, uh, this was a, a user of the King James Version. And the King James Version talks about quenching all the fiery darts of the enemy. All right, say fiery darts. Fiery darts. But on their keyboard, on their phone, beside the D, there's an F. <laughs> and this came, this really sincere text message came, you know, praying for me that I'd be protected from all the fiery farts of the enemy. <laughs> oh, we laughed and laughed and laughed. Like a whole new dimension of spiritual warfare, isn't it? All right. So... These flaming arrows, the enemy's goal is to prevent you from, from standing. What are the arrows? What are the flaming arrows that rain down on you? Eh? Because there's, there's, probably, there's probably some that are unique to various of us, and then there are some that, that, that come to all of us. What about fear? Eh? We talk about fear and Fear does not really mean that we go through our lives being scared. It's not like we're worried that something's going to jump out from behind a bush or behind a door. Or we're not scared of the dark. I was revising with Rach lately and one of the, the things she had to learn was all these different phobias and what each of them meant, all these different fears that were recorded. Fear for us is, is not so much that we're scared of something. Fear, it more just comes along and says to us, Play it safe. Just play it safe. Don't do the thing that might go wrong. Fear just comes and whispers, you know, God, you might think God's calling you to do this, to make this change, to make this move, whatever. Fear comes along and whispers, what if it doesn't work? What if he leaves you hanging? What if he doesn't come and support you? And fear just keeps on whispering, play it safe. Take the easy option. Stay in the comfort zone. Stay with what you're familiar with. So it's not like we're going through life terrified and quaking, but we're allowing fear to start to really dominate our decision making. Really dominate. And that's one of the biggest challenges I think you'll face as you walk with God is whenever you're faced with a decision and on one side you've got faith, it's trusting the character of God. 
And on the other side, you've got fear, which masks itself as common sense. You know, playing it safe, looking after yourself, making sure everything's okay. Fear causes you to miss out on the call of God on your life. Because you play it safe. You play it safe. And every one of us probably knows exactly what, what we're talking about. Every one of us harbors these things that we know God stirs within us. And on our good days, we, we're going to change the world. And we're going to do this thing that God has called us to. This, this urgency that he's placed within us. This ministry, this call. And, and, but then fear starts to creep. And what if it goes wrong? What if you make that call and the person just rejects you? What if you, if you make that change and you find yourself getting it tight after you've made the change? Fear is an enemy arrow that he shoots at us an awful lot. Another one is doubt. Closely linked, probably. Am I really forgiven? Ever have those moments when you just think, am I really forgiven? Is God really listening to my prayers? Is he really listening? Or is it a waste of time? The enemy comes raining in these, you're wasting your time. He's not listening to you. He's listening to other people, but your sins are too big and he's not listening to you. Don't waste your time. Doubt. Some people say, I don't feel anything when I pray. Welcome to the club. Most of us don't most of the time. That's faith. Faith is that he does hear us. That he does invite us to come before him and to bring to him the burdens that he has placed on our hearts in the first place. Fear, doubt, depression. Another arrow that, that the enemy reigns in on us. Just that heaviness and that darkness that comes. And there are others as well. There's temptation. There's anxiety. There's stress. I had a health check lately in work. We had a welfare day and we were all given these free health checks. First time I've had anything like that done in a long time. And uh, one of the questions, we had to fill in this form beforehand. And the question was, on a scale of 1 to 10, how stressed are you? <laughs> Boy, I wrestled with that a long time. Like, how, how stressed have you been recently? And here's one <clears throat> that, that's sort of slightly difficult to say. Unsought thoughts. Thoughts that come in that you didn't go looking for. <laughs> and you're just like, where did that come from? I've encountered that probably more, I would say, in the last six months than at any other time in my life. Where I've just been going about my business, I've just maybe outside working in the garden or just at work or in the car, and just a thought comes. You're like, what? What on earth? And it's a fiery dart. It's a flaming arrow of the enemy. The things that he shoots at God's people to try and bring us down. And Paul says in order to deal with those things and to counter those things, we've been given the shield of faith. Now what is faith? I'm only doing one piece of armor today, by the way, just, just to give you hope. But faith is it's just huge. Like, How could you define faith in a, in a nutshell or in a, in, a, in a word or in a phrase? I want to just throw a few things at you and forgive me if this is a bit sort of higgledy-piggledy, but what, what is faith not, first of all? What is it not? Faith is not positivity and optimism. 
Faith is not chin up, have a little faith and everything will be just fine. That's not faith. That's a nice attitude to have in life. It's better than negativity and pessimism all the time. But faith is not just saying it'll all be okay. Yes, it'll be all in the long, long term. It'll all be okay. We're heading for glory. Jesus has got his church. Jesus is going to have his bride, his pure and spotless bride. Yes, everything will be okay. But between now and then, do you know what? It might not be. Don't go telling Paul the apostle that everything will be okay because he got executed for preaching Jesus. Don't go tell Peter that everything will be okay because Peter got crucified for preaching about a crucified Jesus. We sometimes very glibly talk about faith. When someone is in a time of trial, and we say, oh, just have a bit of faith. It'll all be all right. And you know what? We're maybe lying to them. <laughs> We're maybe lying to them because it might not all be all right. Paul talked about having a thorn in his flesh his whole life. And it wasn't all all right. So faith is not just positivity and optimism that'll all work out in the end. It's not reckless risk-taking. Nobody jumps out of a plane without a parachute and says, it'll all be all right, we'll just take this risk and see what happens. And Peter, when he got out of the boat... Again, a phrase that you hear bandied about sometimes in Christian circles. Sometimes our vocabulary is really dodgy. Sometimes if we really think about what we say, just get out of the boat. No, don't get out of the boat. In, in Matthew 14, let's see what actually happened when Peter got out of the boat. Just so you know, and don't go telling people to just get out of the boat. He sees Jesus come walking on the water in the middle of Matthew 14 or towards the end of the chapter. And they think it's a ghost. Great discernment they had, isn't it? Like Jesus comes and they think this is a ghost. Verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And then there's one word. And it's in red in your Bible, which means those who translated it were convinced that Jesus said it. The word has come. And Peter didn't get out of the boat until Jesus said, come. Until he had a word to put his faith in, he didn't get out of the boat. Don't go telling people to get out of the boat. That's reckless. That's careless. He got out of the boat. Now, it was still a huge leap of faith, but it wasn't just a blind leap into nothingness. It was a stepping out on the strength of what Jesus said to him. That's faith. It is not reckless risk-taking. When you know the one who made the waters and who calms the storm, if he says step out of the boat, you can step out of the boat. Also, faith is in in the, the Scriptures... It is a verb. It's not just something you have. Yes, it's a noun as well. But in, particularly in John's gospel, the vast majority of the time, faith and belief is a verb. It's not that I have faith. It's that I exercise faith. I place my faith in something or someone. So 
don't, don't just talk about having faith. I have faith, we have faith. No, we put our faith in someone. Faith is a verb. It is something that we do. Here's another thing that faith is not. It is not blind. Faith is not blind. Now, if faith has a sense that is predominant, it is the sense of hearing. But faith is not blind. Go to, go to Romans chapter 4, please. Just to point this out in a sort of, in a powerful way that just can't be argued with. Faith is not blind. <clears throat> Some people misunderstand, I think, uh, a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, where Paul says, we live by faith and not by sight. And then they say, faith is blind. Faith is not blind. Just because you don't live by sight does not mean you walk about with your eyes closed. It means that what you see does not dominate your decisions. Faith is not blind. In Romans 4, Paul is talking about faith. And he uses the example of Abram. And in verse 18, you know the story of of Abram and Sarah. They've been promised descendants. They've been promised children uh, and, and generations that will follow after them as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But they've no child. And they're getting old. And it says in verse 18, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. And here's the important bit. Just as it had been said to him. He didn't just believe in nothing. He didn't just say, if I can just muster up enough faith, then the thing that I want to happen will happen. He put his faith in what had been said to him. And goes on in verse 19 to say, without weakening his faith or without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He looked at himself. Just imagine him and Sarah in front of the mirror. You know, and they both, they look themselves up and down. <laughs> I'm dead. You're dead. But God has spoken. He did not, and I say faith is not blind. Sometimes, again, you hear talk in, in Christian circles, especially in sort of extreme faith environments, and I love an environment of faith, but sometimes you get people who will refuse to actually acknowledge what is really happening. And they say, oh, faith is blind. So they will, they will they'll pretend that something is not there, that is there. It's not that faith is blind. Faith takes a long, hard look at reality and then says, I choose to believe God. I choose to put my faith in God rather than put my faith in what I see. Faith is not blind. Faith has got to have an object. Again, nobody jumps out of a plane without a parachute, hoping that it'll all be okay. We did this thing last summer on on holidays, you know, sort of high ropes course and at the end of it there's a platform that you jump off 
with a, you've just got a cable tied to your back and then as you fall, the tension on the cable changes so that you land gloriously on the ground, on your feet or on your butt when everybody else is watching and laughing at you if you're the one made to go first. <coughs> but I did not jump off the platform just thinking it'll all be okay. I put my faith in the cable that was tied to my back and in the, the thing that was holding it that it would release me when I got to the ground, it would stop me. Again, we talk sometimes about just having faith and doing something careless. God doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to hear his voice and then step out boldly. It might look like carelessness to others, but for us who have heard him, who loves us, it is not careless. Faith is always in scripture, always defined by the object that that faith is placed in. And the object of our faith is God himself. And I've said this before, I have yet to hear of anyone who has walked with God for any length of time, if they have time to ponder before the end of their life, if they're terminally ill or, or for whatever reason, they know that they're going to pass away and go to be with him. I've yet to hear of anyone saying, Do you know what, I wish I hadn't walked with Jesus. I've yet to hear of anyone looking back and saying, for 20 years I walked with Jesus. What a waste of time. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had sinned more. I wish I had lived recklessly and carelessly and selflessly, selfishly. People don't do that. People don't do that. Faith derives its strength from a God who is faithful. So how do we take up this shield of faith that Paul says we are offered to, to quench these flaming arrows? Keep in mind the whole way through this, we're talking about faith this morning, but we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about the fact that as we walk with God, we will be just assailed with flaming arrows. I'm sure you've seen plenty of scenes in movies when the arrows are released and you just have this absolute hail of arrows on a battlefield raining down on, on whoever the target is. That's what's going on, spiritually speaking, to you and I. And as we grow in our courage and faith and boldness and stepping out for God, the number of arrows just increases and increases and increases. It's not as if the enemy says, oh, look, um, that, that person there is particularly strong in their prayer life. We might as well give up on them and point the arrows somewhere else. No, they'll just ramp it up, ramp it up. We've been talking this week about how revivals ended in the past. People talk a lot about revival, but <clears throat> can be very hushed about how the revival ends. And the devil just wants to stop everything that God is doing. And usually what he does is he just launches an absolute barrage at key people in the revival to isolate them, to sideline them, to get them away from, 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 from the strength of community and fellowship, get them on their own and just gradually silence them and quieten the whole thing down. We're in a battle and there is a wicked one. How do we take up the shield of faith? <clears throat> Excuse me, I've sang too loud. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you want to see your shield of faith increase in terms of the strength of it, the capacity of it to put out the flaming arrows of the wicked one? You need to be immersed in the word of God. 
immersed in it. Not just listening to somebody else talking about it, but you yourself reading and reading and reading and reading the scriptures. And if it helps you as you're reading them, just picture that shield of faith getting stronger as you read them, getting bigger, getting thicker, getting wetter. As you soak the shield in the water of the word, it becomes more and more effective at stopping those flaming arrows of the enemy. Pray for more faith. You see people coming to Jesus and and saying, increase our faith. I believe, help my unbelief. Get rid of my unbelief and give me more faith, Lord. Another thing that we can do to take up the shield of faith, and I love this, is lock our shields together. Lock our shields together. Now remember what we talked about the first day we were in the armor of God. The fact that this letter is written to a community. It's written to a group of... Oh, God bless you. Look at that there. Down in one. This is a community project. Ephesians is written to a group of people and all of these commands are collective. He's saying to a group of people, take up the shield of faith. As well as individuals. A group are called to do it together. Now, Gladiator. I can't show the clip from Gladiator on a Sunday morning, but you should all go and watch it when you're under 15s or whatever in bed. In Gladiator, there's a scene where Maximus is in the Colosseum with a bunch of his, his mates, guys who have been imprisoned and enslaved and now they're being brought out for entertainment. And uh, behind a set of gates underneath the, where the crowd are, they're waiting, Maximus is waiting to see what's going to come out from the gates. What's going to be launched against him? You know, will it be lions? Will it be chariots? Will it be gladiators? What will it be? Who's going to come out against him? And him and his, and his guys, a few of them, they've got these shields. And part of the, the armor they've been given are, are these shields, which aren't even as big as, as, they sh- as they should be, but they've been given some shields. And he says to them in a thick Australian accent, as all gladiators do, <laughs> he says, whatever comes out of those gates, we have a better chance of survival if we stick together. And then a little bit later on in the scene, he again is heard just yelling, together, together. And what they do is they, they, they do what the Roman soldiers would have done. They all come together with their shields. And let's imagine there may be six guys at the front in a group of Roman soldiers. The six guys at the front are holding their shields in front of them upright. And you've got this wall of shields in front of those six. Behind them, the next row of six guys are holding the shield up above their heads. So it's on top of the the head of the guy in front of them, top of their own head, and on top of the head of the guy behind them. And this is all along the middle row. And then the guys at the back are all holding their shields behind them, and there's maybe a guy at each side covering the two flanks. And it just looks like a great big armadillo. (laughs) And the beauty of it is, there's this dome of protection all around them, they listen to this. They don't just crouch underneath it and hide. They can move forward. I get that, church. The way we take up the shield of faith together allows the church to move forward under attack and continue to take ground even though the darts are 
raining down on it. It still can move forward, but only if it's united. If one of the guys in the middle of the second row just says, you know, to pot with this, I'm away home, suddenly there's a breach and there's a hole and arrows are going to drop in through it. But when they do it together, they just create this moving shell, force field of protection, and they can advance towards the enemy. I love that picture. Get that picture in your mind. That's the church at prayer. That's the church at worship. That's the church united, protecting one another. One person's got the front. Somebody else has got the head. Somebody else has got the back. Somebody else has got the sides. But together, it's impregnable. I think the church sometimes wants to put the shields up and just sit underneath them and wait for the battle to pass. But I think what King Jesus wants us to do is put all the shields up and keep on moving forward. So we put the shield of faith up together. The writer to the Hebrews said, don't stop meeting together. Don't give up meeting together. Encourage one another. Sometimes, even, even when you know the scriptures reasonably well, you'll be with somebody else and you maybe be talking about something that you're struggling with and they will wheel out a verse that you maybe haven't read for a year or that's, that's just slipped your mind. You've maybe never read it. And all of a sudden you're encouraged. Someone else has brought in some, something for you to put your faith in. They've helped you to hold up your shield. Hebrews also writes about looking on to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We raise up the shield of faith by keeping our eyes and keeping our gaze fixed on him. We raise up the shield of faith by remembering God's past faithfulness. I love the story of David and Goliath. And just thinking about it this morning, God didn't tell David to go and take Goliath down. David just looked at the situation and said, this is wrong. God's not happy with this. This uncircumcised Philistine defying the living God and defying the armies of the living God. This is not right. David stepped out in faith in the character of God that what Goliath and the Philistines were doing was wrong. And that's all he needed. He knew that God would be with him. He knew that God would be with him. And he stepped out in faith. And whenever people questioned him and said, this guy's too big for you, you can't tackle this yourself. David said, when I was a boy in the field with a sheep, and when the lion came, God delivered me out of the hand of the, or the paw of the lion. When the bear came, he delivered me out of the paw of the bear. And when this Philistine comes, it's going to be the same thing. He's got a track record of the faithfulness of God that allows him to hold up that shield of faith when he needs to. So are you living in faith? Go to Hebrews 3, please, just as we finish off. <clears throat> Have you any faith versus fear decisions that you need to make? I've made some. I think I have another one coming. Faith versus fear. Fear says stay in the comfort zone. And faith says step into what God is calling you to. One of the things that Linda and I sometimes talk about is, is making space for God to fill. We have found that every time we make space, God fills it. 
in whatever context that is, when we, when we make a move in faith and create space for God, he fills it. And let me tell you another thing about God, just as an aside. He is your father. When you were, you know, when you were a kid and you were about to do something that might lead to harm or, or you know, that, that just wasn't the best thing, what did your father do? Did he drop kick you? Did he shoot you? You know, what, what does a father do? And I'm sorry if your father wasn't a great father, but what, what does a good father do when he sees a child maybe just, just going off in a direction that's not the best? It's loving movement back into the way again. It's not, you fool, I'm going to cause you to burst into flames on the spot. Whenever God sees us maybe about to go in a direction that we think is good, but it's not exactly the direction he wants us to go, he doesn't stomp on us and squish us. He will just direct us gently back into the way. He's a father. Stop living in fear of that. He's a father. And sometimes we, we go to make decisions and, and, and the door closes and God steers us back into a different way. But do we have faith or do we make our decisions based on fear? It takes faith to do what we're doing and to keep going when the going gets tough. It takes faith to, to come in on a Tuesday night and to believe that God is actually listening to 10 or 12 nutters crying out to him. Just crying out to him. Not, not just coming with a sort of, you know, we'd like you to do this, this and this. But a real sense of crying unto God. To see his spirit move, to see his power, to see revival in our lifetime. It'd be great to leave a platform for the next generation, but I want to see it. I want to see it myself. I want to see God move in an undeniable way. Do you have faith for that? Because you'll have to make space for it. It's not going to happen in your current schedule. It's not going to happen in my current schedule. Believe you me, for it's just stupid. I'm not busy. I've got to make space. And fear comes in and says, no, 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 that's risky. That might go wrong. But faith says, no, you make space and I'll fill it. I'll fill it. Do you have the faith to prepare for a future ministry? Do you have faith to get ready to be able to disciple new believers? Could we actually handle it, church, if five people got born again next Friday night? Could we cope? Have any of us created space in our schedule that we could disciple new believers? Or have any of us prepared ourselves for what it means to disciple new believers? Because do you know what? I don't really think it'll happen until God sees a people who are actually ready for it to happen. Because otherwise those new believers just fall on their backsides. Do we have faith to get ready for a harvest? Do we believe that God wants to do that? Or, or do we think somehow that in this time, in this age, in this town, God's just said, no, nah, I don't want to move there. Don't want to move there. I'll maybe move there in 50 years, but I don't want to move there right now. Don't want to save people in that place right now. Do you think that's God? Because <laughs> I don't. Do we have faith for that? Do we have faith to prepare to plant more churches even when there is not a plan in place to do that? But do we have the faith to maybe start getting ready for it? To prepare ourselves, to learn, to discuss, to enter into network with others and to get ready so that we are equipped to do it. Because God's not likely, I don't think, to call us to do it until we actually start to put some things in place that we're able to do it. But that takes faith to maybe make space in our schedule to do that. In Hebrews 3, verse 7, quoting from the Psalms, the writer 
There's a good case, a good argument actually that the writer of Hebrews might have been Barnabas because it's so full of encouragement. But it says in verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that phrase is used three times in this passage. If you hear his voice, and you've heard it this morning because we've read the word of God. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Faith needs to be mixed with the word. Because you will read, as you read on in that passage in Hebrews 3, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a bleak passage, but it's a great warning to the people of God. About these Israelites who heard God, who saw miracles every day. The church sometimes think, if we just saw a miracle, if we just saw some of these things happening, we'd be all right. No, these guys saw miracles every single day of their lives and yet did not enter into what God had called them to. And it says at the end of chapter 3, they did not enter because of unbelief. It wasn't the giants in the land that kept them out. It was unbelief that kept them out. It was a lack of faith. It was hard-heartedness. And if you know your Bible and your Old Testament, you know the thing that causes hard-heartedness is idolatry. You worship in, in that age. You worship something made of stone. Your heart will become stone-cold and dead just like it. Idolatry kills your heart. And the root of idolatry is selfishness and rebellion against God. And if we are selfish about our time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then our hearts will become hard and we will not enter into what God's calling us to, clearly calling us to. In, in verse 2 of chapter 4, it says that they, we, we have heard the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not mix it with faith. Two ingredients. There's the word, the message, the gospel. That's one ingredient. And the other one is faith. And they need to be mixed together in the pot. And your responsibility is to respond in faith to the word of God. Oh, church, I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to be sitting, goodness me, I'm getting old. I don't want to be sitting in 10 or 15 years' time thinking, oh, if we'd only just give it a bit more. If we'd only just believed that God wanted to move in our lifetime. Stop playing it safe and actually step out in faith. Do you believe he's calling us to steward a move of his Holy Ghost at this time? I do. And are we responding in faith? Let's just pray.